Welcome to episode 80 of Breakout Culture. Will we make it to 100? It's brilliant. I'm Ed Vasey, Culture Editor of Country and Townhouse magazine. And I'm Charlotte Metcalf. I'm Associate Editor at Country and Townhouse. Now, we are really overexcited today because, as our regular listeners will know, Ed and I are obsessed with Call My Agent. When we started this podcast 90 episodes ago, actually, as lockdown culture, we used to chat a lot about TV, given there wasn't much more any of us could do back then during lockdown. And we were both in total and unusually completely harmonious agreement about adoring Call My Agent. So we were in agreement and anyone who hasn't seen what was our favourite show called My <laughs> Agency, Agency in Paris. It has stars like Sigourney Weed and Charlotte Gainsbourg, Beatrice Dahl, Isabel Hubert. And anyway, ever since we watched it, by the way, John, Charlotte has written this script. We've been trying to get anyone from Call My Agent onto this podcast, but failing that... <laughs> yes, in the meantime, in the meantime, 10%, the British version, hit our screens and is still available on Amazon Prime. Now, I've obviously binge watched all eight episodes of the first series and I am a fan, but it has had mixed reviews. So here to discuss it with us is the if British... If he's still prepared to stay after that bloody... <laughs> <laughs> it's the British version's creator and writer, John Morton, who's also responsible for W1A 2012 and people like us. We couldn't be more excited. Good morning, John. Good morning. It's very nice to be here, I think. <laughs> yes, I mean, short of Charlotte writing the entire script in French, made it, just, uh, made it ruder than it was. But tell us, it is obviously, I mean, I want to obviously talk about W1A 2012 and people like us as well, but let's start with 10%. I mean, obviously, a, a re, I mean, it's normally the Brits, you know, we do the office and the world takes it on. Uh, it's quite unusual for us to take on somebody else's idea and do it ourselves. What What do you think motivated... What was the need for the English version of Dibosson or Call yeah. Um It's a good question. And I, I completely understand, you know, when you when you talked about um, a sort of mixed reception to begin with, I, I completely understand that because I remember going to see, you know, West Side Story last year, Steven Spielberg's version of yeah. it, which was brilliant, you know. But, but I went with, you know, my, my default setting was, why would you do that? You know, because the original was so is is so brilliant. So I completely understand. But I think I think my answer would be that even even if the French show had never existed, it's an interesting. I have to use this word, which I don't like, but precinct. It's an it's an interesting milieu and an interesting sit in which to place uh, a drama or a comedy. Because you know what I, I I think what agents do is actually pretty interesting. And I didn't I didn't I didn't have a clue before I started in this industry what agents did at all. Well, um, I mean, first of all, I just want to dwell on this word precinct because that has just made my day already. <laughs> every dinner party I'm going to now, that is a very interesting precinct. Well, I, I hate it because it. it's, one, it. it's one of those words that's, you know, that's become a sort of um, uh, a byword for all kinds of things. But it's, it's useful for, you know, a setting, a setting in which you might tell a set of stories. But I guess actually in, in your answer, you've contained a, a, a brilliant point, which is as a writer, you have an agent. And is this is this the writer's revenge for all the quirky meetings you've had with your eccentric agent? No, not at all. And in fact, quite the reverse. Because my and I not it's not just uh, because she might listen to this. Um, but, <laughs> but 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 who is your is, agent? 
she is uh, Lily Williams at Curtis Brown, and she is and she is brilliant. Um, I hope she doesn't mind me name checking her. No, but I'm. I mean, I think there is a there is a kind of received version of what agents do, which is run around shouting and being duplicitous, and you know, keeping several balls in the air and telling a patchwork of lies, and hoping that somehow out of that will come, you know, a huge a huge deal or something. Which is, and I'm sure there's an element, there is an element of that. You know, there's an element of thinking on your feet, thinking really fast. But I think, I think what they, what good agents do is very, very difficult. That's what I, one of the things I've learned is that, uh, you know, they're they're walking along a very narrow ledge between truth and falsehood all the time. So if my agent is, if Lily is talking to some, let's say, some producers as it were, on my behalf, about a potential thing, project. And then she talks to me. I know she doesn't say to me quite what she said to them or what they said to her, because she can't, really. And similarly, when I then we have a conversation, and then she goes back to them, she doesn't say to them quite what we said or what I said to her, because she can't. And yet she's got to, she, they've got to maintain the trust and respect of both set both parties but both of whom are by definition you know bright people if you're if you're a creative person in any any sense you're by you are by almost by definition uh, insecure so they've got to be careful (laughs) they've got to really know their clients emotional landscape actually is the truth of it and you do get that across brilliantly but just in case there's somebody in the out there listening to this who hasn't seen Call My Agent and doesn't yeah. know what it's about. Just tell us a bit, because interestingly, we're going to be, we're broadcasting this on Father's Day. It's a, it's a smallish talent agency it's set in Paris. I, I think what the French did with it is to present a sort of dysfunctional family, really, a, a group of people who, you know, drive each other nuts, get across each other all the time, but ultimately although they would never maybe articulate this to each other, they do care for each other. And therefore, we as viewers kind of care about them. The sort of USP of, of the French show, I think, which, you know, which we also got in our show, is that each week you get to see, <laughs> as it were, a real actor or piece or talent, as it were, um, playing a version, you know, playing themselves, essentially. So in our show, it was Kelly MacDonald in the first episode. In the second episode, it was Helena Bonham Carter and Olivia Williams. Then it was Dominic West. And they play not 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 some kind of comedy turn. They play pretty, pretty accurate versions of themselves. That really shows the difference between the French and the English. I mean, let's face it, in the French version, you've got you know, uh, Monica Bellucci and Isabella Gianni. And see Gorney Weaver doing that wonderful dance sequence with a younger man. You know, they're all being really glamorous. And in the Brit one, we've got sort of David Harewood going off to be a black cab driver. <laughs> I mean, that sort of says it all, doesn't it? I mean, we're just, let's say we're just not caught as glamorous as the French. End of story, you know. No, <laughs> no. And, and, and no, you're right. The French show is is just, you just achingly elegant and gorgeous and you know you point a camera anything those those wonderful you know any exterior shot those wonderful houseman boulevards they're so handsome and so coherent you know um uh, uh, architecturally and 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 they are all you know they are in, you know when they they argue incredibly stylishly they fall in love incredibly stylish but in in transposing it or i've i've increasingly as i've been asked about this i think the best way of describing it is transplanting it like a plant 
from one soil into another soil. We, we, for better or worse, probably worse, we don't move like, we aren't like that in, 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 in our culture, in, in our own lives, really. Now, London as a city is not, it's just more chaotic. It's more diverse in every sense, culturally, architecturally, uh, politically, you know, it's just it's just much more of a kind of chaotic melting pot. I think if you're British, you've grown up British, again, for better or worse, probably worse, you grow up with a sense that a sort of a, 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 an understanding that British people are very bad at saying what they actually think and feel directly on the surface. Whereas the French show is all about that. It's about people uh, uh, confronting each other either emotionally or, 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 or professionally. Whereas I think in British culture, we just understand that when someone says, hmm, interesting, they don't mean interesting. They mean, they mean a whole raft of other things, which, is, which, de- which depends on the context. And so as a writer, um, going back to your first question of why, why might this be worth a go at, at re, re, you know, transplanting to London, that's where I, that's where I find that what's funny and interesting and moving and you know, pathetic and dramatic is in, the, is in that gap between what's said or presented by a person and what's actually felt or meant. I think what's so interesting about this show is that you, you obviously, as it carries on through the eight episodes, you know, you're obviously really getting into what is it about Britishness that makes us. But you've added an extra layer, which is sort of borrow from Emily in Paris, if you like, <laughs> and bring <laughs> the Americans in, which is an added... Yes. You're basically going to accuse John of being <laughs> Well, I, I've got a very good defence of that because I, <laughs> culturally, I'm very... I mean, I have huge gaps and I don't watch... I, so what I'm really saying is I haven't seen Emily in Paris. And, but, and I, I'm, there's a whole bunch, uh, you know, bunch of things which I'm incredibly embarrassed that I've never seen. For instance, I'm one of the few people, I think, in the world that has not seen a single frame of Game of Thrones. Oh, no, and I, I should, haven't either. No, 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 I'm with you on that one. <laughs> but I should, I should have, and that's just one example, I should have seen all these things if I'm in sort of, you know, if I'm serious enough in, in the industry, but I just don't have time Is somehow. Is that your job? Yeah. I <laughs> know, <laughs> oh, exactly, exactly. But, um, but it's, it's, uh, if, that's, if that's something that, you know, it wasn't, it, was, it, was, it wasn't a conscious borrowing. But, but the, the American thing is another difference, isn't it, I think, between, between our culture and, and French culture. I mean, I, what do I know? But it feels to me as if, you know, if, if if you're in the this business that, that I'm in, and we're sort of talking about at all in any any little corner of it, again, it, it, if you're British, you it comes with an unspoken, sometimes spoken sense that the real home of it, the kind of big factories, the mothership, is over there, is in LA. Whereas if you're the French, seem to me from my um, position of ignorance really but they they, they seem to be mu- to make a point of not referring of not doing that of celebrating what and who they are yes you know and they, they take their 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 film you know their, their film industry incredibly seriously and it doesn't it's not in any way inflected by or compared to Hollywood. Yeah, and they really don't say what they mean, do they? I mean, <laughs> no. Well, that's no. That's interesting, actually. The white, the white noise of, of relentless positiveness, I think, is very often, it's strangely, a similarity with the way that some the American executive world works, which is where you get you get a white a white noise, a wall of positiveness, which doesn't mean anything. You know, that is true. The Americans do it in a, in a different way, which is, you know, and it starts with, you know, have a nice day when the person saying it couldn't give a monkey's. <laughs> 
uh, right through to, you know, it's so good to meet you and they forget who you are. I think the other difference between the Brits and the Americans is self-deprecation. So the average Brit will say, you know, well, you know, you would say, well, I'm a writer, you know, I've had one or two things on television, whereas your American equivalent would say, I'm an award-winning writer and I've uh, written six, six hit series (laughs) which have gone global and dominated the world. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is a huge difference. And I remember uh, one of my very rare forays over there. I was, I was, I was my, I think my first ever meeting, which was on the Fox lot, as I must call it. And I was, I was a bit early and I was standing under a tree for some shade with the, with the producer. And under the next tree was a, was a kind of tall rangy figure smoking. And I thought, well, that's, that's Hugh Laurie, isn't it? And I know <laughs> Hugh a little, a little, I know him well enough to say, oh, hi, Hugh, what are, what are you doing here? And he's, and he was saying, oh, typical Hugh, this is about, uh, I don't know, six, six, seven, eight years ago. He said, oh, God, I've got this thing. I'm playing this part. There's a doctor. I don't know why I'm doing it. It's I play the main part. It's called House. But he was saying, um, he was, you know, he was saying, I don't know why I've done it. It's going to, I've got a ticket on the Titanic. It's going to be, going to be terrible. And it turned out to, you know, change his life. But one of the things he was saying was, you know, how different, how, how, and he's the one of the most self-deprecating people in in a, in a, in, a, in a self-deprecation contest, Hugh Laurie would win a, win all, all the time. But he was saying they just you know in in the American system uh, culture they just don't get it. Don't do it. Yeah. Even if it, even if it's who you even if you even if it's even if it's what you really feel, don't do it. They just don't understand it at all. Yeah, and that's it's a very, very interesting practice. very interesting thing. It's a really really basic difference between American culture and our culture. I think sort of look at, at the characters and how they compare. So, let you know, obviously Camille Cotin was a great breakout star of yeah. um, Maiden, and you've written this part for, for Lydia Leonard. Did you write it with her in mind? So I wrote the first two episodes, you know, uh, before we started casting. So it's all, it's all written, uh, as it were, bl- blind, and then an, and then you go through an exhaustive and exhausting casting process, and somebody you eventually get someone who crystallizes that slightly out of focus thing, makes it precise, and from that point on, of course, you can't imagine any other person being that, you know, being that character. But she's a very different character. You've made a much shyer, and and less sort of pushing herself forward, and and much nicer. Probably. For better or worse, I'm not really a satirist. I'm not properly satirical in the way that, say, Armando Iannucci is unbelievably brilliant. But I think he's a classical satirist. You can't really like any of the characters, really. But some people, and, and, and I've always found this in everything I've done, some people think, well, you know, they ha- this is satire, but they haven't really, you know, he's tried to be satirical and it's not, where's the bite? Where's the kind of... And I can only apologise and say that I'm not really trying to do that, <laughs> not not properly. Let's talk about W1A, because that is uh, a really uh, iconic series that is lodged in the mind of, um, <laughs> of the British public. I, I think even more so than 2012. I mean, W1A yes. was masterful. That must have been a hilarious um, series to write, considering who you were writing it for. A lot of people some, you know, often say, God, it must be so much fun doing what you do. And I, I always find myself replying, you know, it's, I'm incredibly lucky. I feel incredibly fortunate to be allowed to do it and all the rest of it. But 
it just so happens that I find it. You're being all so of... English about this. No, no, it's true. I wish, <laughs> I wish that I woke up in the morning. I never wake up in the morning and go, "Let me at the keyboard." You know, I never, ever, ever. I wake up going, "Oh God." It's a funny thing with WNA because you, you, you would have thought that. Um, I don't know how this happened. Really, you would have thought that I would have been. We would have been beset with notes and a sense of control and you know anxiety from upstairs, but but. Perhaps because it was such a small, I mean, I mean, logistically, such a small show to make. I mean, it was a single camera show, you know, uh, uh, you know, compared to The Crown. It was, you know, you know what I mean? It was a small thing. And I think we sort of, we'd started making it before anyone realised what it was, really. Um, and, and, and we never got interfered with at all. Again, I don't think, it wasn't meant to be unkind, because I think, I think there were a bunch of, and certainly Hugh Bonneville's character, in the middle of it was a was a guy you know constantly trying to do the right thing and completely hidebound by everything <laughs> you know around him uh, so but he was trying to it is that but again a very british thing so and particularly in a public service um you know in the middle of a public service an enormous public service machine which is which is about trying to do the right thing uh, one of the things I hope, I mean, I was, I, I'm, you know, uh, um, I was, I'm not anti-BBC at all. I, How much creative input do you have? Do you, when you wrote W1A, did you say, look, this character's got to be played by Hugh Bonneville? Or do they just take it and off they go and next thing you know, they've cast it and you're thinking, oh, they shouldn't have cast that person. That's just wrong for that well, character. No, I mean, again, I'm very lucky because I direct as well. I'm, oh. I get I get to, um, I you know, I, I'm part of that, I'm that I get to be part of that process, so so which is fantastic because casting is such a is so, it's obviously it's a cliche, but you know it's so so important um, and can make or break things. Who does John Morton rate as a writer? As in, what series would you want to watch that you would say, yeah, definitely? Uh, the, you mean uh, well, I, I do. I don't watch enough, so I should I should have a, an answer to that. I mean, I think at the moment. Um, I mean, Succession is just in terms of writing. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, unbelievably brilliant. I mean, it's so, it's so taught, you know. And I and I know that the you know there are many writers and there are much re, and there's much rewriting, but it's so tightly wound. Yeah. And so brilliantly controlled. Um, I you know in recent years I think Fleabag was was oh, yes. utterly yes. brilliant, and I remember watching Fleabag. So on my on my own a couple of times and literally wanting to get up and and clap, yeah. Because I thought it was so it's so controlled. When the best people do it, it looks so easy and as if it couldn't have, couldn't have fallen out any other way. But in fact, that 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 effect is the result of incredibly precise work. It's fascinating hearing you talk about really the process of writing and, and your use, you know, of the word taught and controlled. I mean that that is clearly the secret of a great script where no word is wasted. Mm, and, and, and it's, um, it's an interesting, for the actors, I mean, that thing about people not rarely, rarely speechifying, so that, but they're often, so that in, a, in, in some of the meetings, like in W1A, and also there are some meetings in this show, you know, there's often, a, a, if, if you're an actor, your, your script may have a lot of single word lines, like yes, or right, or, you know, inter great. interesting. There's a lot yeah. of great in there. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the, and 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 that's really hard to do because you might, you know, you'll be doing take after take after take, 
where there are sort of six of you in this meeting and you've all got staccato moments. And, and when, it, when it all goes right, it, 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 there's, there's something that happens where suddenly everybody realises they're part of a rhythmic thing. And it's so hard to do as an actor. And it's, it's a fast, again, a fascinating directing. It's fascinating in the sense that something I've, dis- I've discovered over the years is that with that rhythm and with, with, the, with acting in those kind of scenes, it's like it, some, someone will sometimes hit a word or a line or a moment early on in a take in quite a long scene in, in a particular way. And for the rest of the scene in that take, it'll go like a stone skipping over water. It'll go ping, 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 right down to the end of the scene. Everybody in the room knows that was good. The sound people know it, the camera people know it, the actors know it. It's, it's there in the room. That was really good. Next take, everybody's trying just as hard. Mm-hmm. And it just, the first we get to that moment or whatever, and it comes out slightly differently. And then it goes clunk, 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 all the way down through yeah. the scene. <laughs> and, and it's so elusive. And it's so, particularly with comedy, actually, so elusive and so maddening. Can we talk about Jack Davenport going to actors for a minute? Because he plays the, the main part, Jonathan Nightingale. Mm. And that's a really interesting difference you've made because in in the in the French version, you know, he's he's a sort of charming mm. kind of razzmatazz shit, basically. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah. And, and and Jack Davenport. You can't it, say shit on this podcast. Well, I just have. <laughs> and um, he, you know, Jonathan Nightingale on the, in in this one, he's so woebegone and and he's such a kind of hopeless underdog. And and there's this great. It's quite melancholic. That's an interesting word because it's not something I've that, that not something I was conscious of or, or, or striving for. But but I think the main one of the main differences I, I wanted again in terms of that thing of the, I do think in life that that the truth about someone is really what what they're offering you yeah. in life. Just generally, that's you know whether you're writing or not. And so I thought again, like, like, as with Lydia's character Rebecca, what about? I was saying that in the French show, one of the things I loved about it is that they get if they gave you this kind of dysfunctional family. So what about if in in our version of it, if the original founder of this agency, who it's not a spoiler alert, who dies at the end of the first episode in the French episode in the French show and in our show, what about if that original founder was was actually literally Jonathan's father? Yeah, Jack. Jack, uh, 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 because that's an in, that's that's the same story in a way, but but in, immediately very very different because. Mm. What that shows is that you, you you then see Jack Davenport's character as a son, yeah. as a boy. Uh, you know, you know, you, you, all that hinterland suddenly clicks into and and someone who, someone who has been under his father's shadow, a universally admired father, much loved. You know, oh my God, Richard isn't darling, Richard isn't he lovely? And then, you know, I was interested in just this is all under the surface, and nobody may ever care about this, but. Um, I'm interested in 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 so then that fixed that great big fixed point gets removed and life isn't at all what you thought it was going to be. Mm. Again, unintentionally, I was struggling with the second second episode and rewriting and rewriting. And I mean, I got to the end of a another yet another draft of it, and I suddenly realised, God, all every scene in this episode is about Richard. That's that's. Um, um, Jim Broadbent's character, who's died. Some of them were literally about him, like what was he doing? What what? Because we have two clients of his that are in a bit of a mess. But also, they're all about what he would have done and what his values were and what are who am I now? You know, who are we now? Stella um, Maggie Steed's character, who is who set up the company with him, is in mid seventies. 
she's obviously senior in some in every way to to Jack Davenport's character. She's she knew him when he was in short trousers, you know, when he was when he when he was given a, probably a job by his father in the agency as a kind of runner. She remembers all that, and yet he is called Nightingale and is the heir apparent. So mm. every scene is a you know. So I hope it just gave it a whole set of layers just by making that one change. But I, but it's, it's interesting to hear because I hadn't... And so it means that he is thwarted. He is thwarted in the way that the French character isn't. And, but I think, Jack is, I think Jack is brilliant at being... When, when, he's, when he's on as an agent and when he's got to... Like when he's in, even in the first episode with Kelly MacDonald, he does a thing where he... That's a terrible thing, actually. He, he, he gives her the, a card for a very good um, um, plastic surgeon in Harley Street. In a, and he does it in a way that is really pretty oily, yeah. Really, um, um, but again, he's right on the right on the limit of God. That's a really shitty thing to do. Yeah. Um, and but so I think Jack does a very clever thing. And so he, at some point, you think you can't respect him, and yet he is. He is all those other things too. He's never going to be his father. Oh, it's very interesting because you say, you know, you can't respect him, but that's his whole issue. He just has no respect for himself, does he? I mean, he's so woebegone in that cheap hotel and he's just, yes. sort of, it's just so desperate. I mean, <laughs> literally looking at his trouser press and his teeth Yes, made, yes, exactly. Know, and getting, and getting, <laughs> ang- getting angry with, I love that moment where he gets, he's, try, he's trying to have a conversation with his hangers, new, new hanging boss. Hanging up the shirts. Yeah. Hanging up on those <laughs> terrible hangers in a hotel where they won't, you know, they click onto the thing and you can't get them off. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all his life has come to this. But what has the reception been, and what's going to happen next? And is there another series? And and what do the French think? I mean, you know, oh, yes. what do the French? Think? Yeah, what's uh, the feedback been? The, the feedback. <laughs> feedback. Um, I don't. I, to be honest, I don't. Well, I, the, I've only I met the French people once, and that was after we'd done the show. That was only yeah. about eight weeks ago. I went over to Paris, and they were lovely. They were absolutely lovely. I met Fanny Herrero, who um, who. I was so busy as she's just got her a new show out on Netflix, which is very good. And she hadn't she hadn't looked at this this version. The all the others, all her producers watched it and they were incredibly gracious and supportive and you know, I mean whether they I think they I think I think they meant it. We had a very a very lovely convivial time with them. And as a result of which we everybody got COVID. <laughs> Oh dear. Literally. To laugh. No, I know. I mean, oh. I got you know, everybody got COVID. It was really that convivial. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that they, so they, they, I think are you know they, they, they're, they're they, I think I think they like it or you know I think they were relieved, perhaps put it that way, that we hadn't done something terrible to it. Um, critically, we've had a, a sort of mixed response. I, I'm not on Twitter and I don't I don't live in in the in the social media world. But if you've got a show out there, it's smart to, you know, it's stupid to bury your head in the sand. So I did sort of take my courage in my hands and sort of dive into the Twitter 10% world and just, you know, expecting to get terribly depressed. But actually on Twitter, the response has been very positive. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know what that all amounts to. And, and Amazon, I think, will make their mind up in a few weeks' time. So I, I don't know is the, is the true answer. Yeah, that was my next question. So your paymaster, Amazon, you know, it's, it's, you know, will they be commissioning the next one? That's where we're all on tenterhooks to know. I honestly don't. It's all literally above my pay grade, a long way above my pay grade. You know, how quite how that collective decision gets made, uh, I don't know. They will have an absolute ton of data. I mean, they will know who's watching it for how long, demographically who they are, how many episodes they watch, whether they watch two at a time, four at a time, whether they 
bailed out after 10 minutes. You know, they'll know yeah. all of that yeah. and they'll yeah. make it, they, you, know, you know, they'll just make a calculating. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. They'll, they'll make, it's a business decision for them. Anyway, I hope it does come back because you've left us on tenterhooks at the end of the eighth episode. Bit mean if you if they don't let you come back and do <laughs> well, do the second series. <laughs> well, that's the hope. Um, we'll see. I mean, I, I I think I I don't know. So, what have you been doing in the meantime? Well, I've gone back to things that I was, you know, uh, uh, going to do before ten percent. I've just rewritten a film script. Um, but this is all, by the way. Anybody can say that. Anybody can say, "Oh, I'm writing a film script." The world is for any you know cafes around North London are full of people writing film scripts, and you go. Yeah, are you really? So, in, in a, and this, this is on spec. So nobody's asked me to write it, and it's something that I've worked, I've been working on for many, many years. I've done another pass on it, and I'm. It's got better, I think, every, every time I go, go back to it. Whether it, you know, it's a weird thing. I, I have to be honest with myself. It may never happen, but I've spent years working on it. Uh, so that's what I've been doing. Uh, like many writers, that's what you know. It's, it, it comes down to you sitting in 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 hope, as it were, at your keyboard. Hoping this thing will, and that's, and that's very, that's, very like Charlotte and me when we do our podcast. <laughs> yeah, we, well, we, there you go. It's hope. the same, the same you've thing. Been, you've been brilliant. The hope has, the hope has been realised. Oh, <laughs> in terms of our brilliant, this brilliant podcast. Well, it's been, it's been um, very nice way of spending however long that was. It's, um, thank you very much. Oh well, thank you very, very, very much, John. Well, no, thank you. It's uh, made it very easy. Thank you very much. Just before we go, we told you we'd bring you news of the winner of the Women's Prize for Fiction, and that is The Book of Form and Emptiness by Ruth Ozeki. So congratulations to Ruth on that. We'll be back next week to talk about art and design and the prestigious Royal College of Art. On the 23rd of May, the brand new campus was unveiled in Battersea, and our guests will be Dr Paul Thompson, Vice-Chancellor, and Sir Peter Basiljet, Chair and Pro-Chancellor of the Royal College, to talk about the impact of the new campus on the next generation of artists and designers. The college has already taught some of our most extraordinarily famous and successful alumni across a wide range of disciplines, including David Hockney, Barbara Hepworth, Henry Moore, Tracy Emin, Bridget Riley, Chris Ophelia, Zandra Rhodes, Ian Drury, James Dyson and Ridley Scott. So whatever it does next is guaranteed to shape the future of British art and design. Listen in to find out what its plans are to meet the challenges of our fast-changing world. That's sadly all we've got time for this week. You can find us on countryintownhouse.com. We're now .com rather than .co.uk because we're so global. You'll also find our sister podcast, House Guest with interior designer Carolinette, plus the latest edition of Country and Townhouse and the Great British Brands newsletters. Meanwhile, we love your feedback, so please keep it coming to me at charlotte at countryintownhouse.com. Goodbye.